Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Look Into It. Today, this episode has nothing to do with conspiracy theories, so you might as well turn this shit off, go to Tinfoil Hat, go to fucking Jay Dyer. There's plenty of other conspiracy shit going on. This one's, we might dip into some conspiracy. I doubt it, though, but this one's 100% pure comedy and and some music sprinkled in uh my guest today uh one of my best friends from the comedy store jeremiah watkins what's, what's up, up jeremiah? brother thanks for How having me man, man. <laughs> and you know what you know what the, the, uh the way we met was through kill tony at the comedy yeah. store yeah and uh you were doing you did you did um you were doing like a jeff foxworthy type character if you creep on any woman with a pulse you might be a red band (laughs) this guy looks like every kid who didn't have a speaking line in the sandlot wow that was a fun one yeah you were i thought that's what you did all the time i didn't know that every kill tony show you had a different persona right the the band you were like leading the band you're a musician I, did, I thought that was like your character and I fucking loved it. Cause you said something like, you know, your red band when something like you were talking shit on red band, you were roasting him. That, oh, I, I remember yeah. falling out. I said, you might be a red band. Yeah. Yeah. You might be a red band. <laughs> yeah. Instead of, instead of Jeff Fox for this classic. Yeah. Yeah. You might yeah, be a yeah. redneck. Yeah. Then you might be a redneck. I said, then you might be a red band. Totally. That was beautiful. And, um, you invited me on your show. You have you do a show in the belly room at the comedy store, a stand up on the spot, and uh, me coming in as um, I wouldn't even call myself like it, it's hard for me to call myself a comic or a comedian. Very very hard for me. I do go up on stage and I do my best and I do talk shit and and every now and then a couple people laugh and everything. But um, it's hard for me to consider myself a real comedian because I don't do what what most comedians do. Like go out every night, get a set every night. You guys are always at the clubs every night, and I'm teaching jujitsu every night. I don't have time to do right. that. So right. I'm I'm like at best a part time comedian, and um, the fact that you invited me on your show, the only it was huge for me. It's it's um. I am honored. Was, well, was, you you know what 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 was great about when you did stand up on the spot is you actually did really well. You did awesome when you did the show because a lot of people when they do the show, um, they freak out and panic, um, and it can re- it can go either way. The panic can can either influence you to do really well or it can cause you to go into a corner. But because you know yourself so well and you have so many life stories and everything. When people were yelling out different suggestions, you had something like that. You're kind of like, Oh, I could talk about this. And like, it was great. It was super fun. 
Well, thank you. And, um, you know, <laughs> it's funny that you're talking about uh, uh, freaking out and then backing into a corner because that's happened to, pro- I mean, I'm sure every single comedian out there, a- any person that goes on stage and tries to be funny has gone through that that bombing um you know, that eating dicks on stage oh, uh, yeah. situation. You know what I mean? That's it's, it's that, that's weird. It's, it's the only way you can get better. It it's is, horrible. And yeah. you know what? It's the only way you can get better, but it's also one of the ways uh, you can run from comedy and just fucking stop doing it. Because I would say, you know, I've been, I've, I was doing comedy before 10th Planet a little bit. You know, I uh, back in 2001, Joe was putting me on in the OR on uh on um the open mic night mm-hmm. like for potluck on like mondays or sundays or something yeah and i thought you know he i thought i could do comedy and joe thought i could do comedy and joey diaz thought i could do comedy so that's why i did it because they would say you got to go on stage you got to do that on stage you could do that on stage and i felt like i could because you can you could fool yourself into thinking you could go on stage and doing comedy because, you know, you're in the parking lot bullshit with your friends under no pressure. And you're telling these stories, you know, these funny stories or whatever. And people are laughing and shit. Comedians even may be laughing, but it's a whole fucking different ball game when you get up on stage and there's people in front of you that paid to, 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 to laugh and bought, bought drinks to drink minimum to laugh. So there's a lot of pressure in those lights. It's not the same. Yeah. You think you're, you're funny cause you're telling jokes to your friends in the locker room or, you know, in some alley and you think you could do it. It's totally different on stage. Well, you have the luxury, like when you're just hanging and chilling with friends, like in a parking lot, like they know your comedic voice and they have context for how funny you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, like when you easier. go to the stage and you're telling a funny story that your friends think is hilarious, the hardest part is translating it to an audience that has never met you before and they need to figure out why this story is funny to them because they don't have contact, they don't know who you are. So yeah, like that exactly. that's the biggest that's the biggest brawl that you're that you're going up against like when you're trying to be a guy who is a funny guy, like, like out in public or with your friends, but taking to the stage, like you're saying, it's like, it's night and day. Yeah. And, and because Joe uh, wanted it, he wanted me to go on stage, man. He thought, he thought I could pull it off and I didn't know shit how, about how the comedy store ran in terms of, that open mic night on Sunday. But back then in 2001, that open mic uh, night was huge for the, the, the regulars at the comedy store, because although uh, open mic night started like at seven and the people that waited in line all fucking day, they get it. They go on stage, you know, you you have to be there Saturday, Sunday afternoon, you get in line, you sign up and there's a, it's not easy. It's a, it's, you got to fucking kill your whole day just to get five minutes. And because me and Joe were friends and Joe back then, this was like right at the beginning of, of fear factories blowing up. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how the comedy store is now, but back then, if you had TV clout, if you had movie clout, Mitzi would just, 
he, she made a rule, I guess, an unspoken rule, I guess. If you're high level, you could just call in and jump on stage anytime you want, basically. And the comedians that were scheduled to go on stage, they just have to eat it and understand that's how the world runs. And that's good for the comedy store to have like Eddie Griffin come in or, or Dave Chappelle or Joe Rogan coming in. So anybody that was on TV had extra pull and power at the comedy store, which to me makes sense. You know, it, that's kind of in general, to, but, but the people like, that get cut out and get bumped, damn, it, it hurts them. So what Joe was doing, uh, I always wanted to be a rock star. I was a musician, but I felt I was always a big comedy fan as well. I, I love Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Sam Kinison, Martin Lawrence, Chris Rock, all that shit. I was balls deep into comedy. I loved fighting, comedy, and music. That was my whole shit. I would always tape random boxing shows, Tuesday night boxing, Friday night boxing, wide world of sports boxing, all the pay-per-view, all the Mike Tyson, all that shit. I had Julio Cesar Chavez, everything. I was always about fighting before the UFC. And then when the UFC started, I was all about that. Um, but I was also all about music. Music was number one. And comedy. Comedy was everything. I love Howard Stern. I would tape all Howard Stern. I would tape Comic View. Uh, I mean, I was Howard Stern has my favorite uh, SNL interviews out of everybody. Like if you if you've ever been a fan of SNL, like he he, you can tell that that dude's like a a fan of like the whole history of the show. And he asks like really good questions. He's well, just in general, he's an amazing interviewer. Oh, yeah. That's what made Howard Stern is his his questions and interviews and the way he gets into inside people's lives and stuff. And so I was always into comedy. I thought I could do it. I started smoking weed. I'm like, oh, I think I could do comedy. And plus, I had been DJing at a strip club for, for years. So I thought the, that was the public speaking experience that uh was required to do comedy because oh i was a dj i have public speaking experience i could do comedy so i thought that joe thought that too and you know but i never i always procrastinated i wouldn't go on stage and then one day we're at the coffee bean right there on sunset in fairfax me joe and joey and they had talked about this and they had an intervention they go listen you're going up tonight or you we don't ever want to hear about this shit again you're going up tonight. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going up tonight. It was open mic night Sunday at the comedy store. And Joe just because the prime time, I think that back then open mic night started like at seven and it goes on all night. But around like 930-ish, 915-ish, the regulars started going up. So sure. there would be an audience there for open mic night, but then the regulars would start working. In, and Joe would like to go on like at, you know, at, right at 10. Sunday night at 10, that was the prime spot. So Joe would walk in with all his power and said, hey, I got my boy Eddie, put him up right before me. And I, I, I thought, I didn't really think much of it, but I, did, I didn't know that the, the regulars were like, who the fuck is this guy just bumping us? Like they were pissed, like all those, I don't want to name names, but I had no idea already there was already hate for me <laughs> at the comedy store just because Joe Joe was just throwing me on stage. And I had no idea. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, I guess I'll go on stage whenever Joe says. And I went up and that happened nine times, nine open mic nights. And then it took me nine to figure out. I had, I wouldn't even say moderate success, but um, I ended up realizing like shit 
the strip club DJ uh, um, experience does not translate to comedy. It's a whole different. I thought that was going to be the public speaking experience that I needed. And it wasn't because one thing I realized is comedy, stand-up comedy is basically uh, two parts, public speaking skills and funny. You got to have both. And a lot of comedians don't really have that much funny, but they're so good at public speaking that they pull it off because they're so smooth on stage and so confident on stage. And maybe they don't say, you know, Sam Kinison level type shit or Martin Lawrence level type shit, but they're so smooth on stage. They pull it off and they get gigs. Um, I didn't have any public speaking skills that, uh, you know, uh, constantly saying, all right, put those hands together for candy. That did not translate. All right, guys, don't don't be shy. Ask her for that table dance, you know, and all right, your next comment coming to the stage, Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided, you know, because I this one time I'll never forget. I went up on stage and I thought I thought. I was, Joe wanted to go, what are you going to do on stage? And I go, dude, it's a surprise. I was like kind of confident because I had like two okay spots. And so I decided to do this thing where I go on stage and everyone's talking about, you know, relationship humor and all that shit. And I went on stage and I thought, oh shit, I'm going to talk about my girlfriend and how I'm into her. And then slowly in in the act, you're going to realize that I'm just that bitch is not my girlfriend. She's just a stripper and I'm giving her money and she's manipulating me. But I, but I'm, I'm the dumb comic delusional comic that think that thinks that's my girlfriend. And it bombed really bad. It bombed really bad. And I'll never forget walking off stage. And Joe just said, come here, dude. And he turned around and said, come here, follow me. He dragged me out to the, the, the parking lot. I said, dude, don't ever fucking do shit like that ever again. And I'm like, fuck. And it, it just scarred me. And then I decided at that point, you know what? I just don't have the public speaking skills um, for comedy. I just don't. I just, I just felt awkward. I wasn't smooth. Uh, the articulation wasn't fucking there. So how long so did just, it take you to to get back to a place I where I fucking quit? You quit I just entirely for I, years. I said, Joe, you know what? Because me and Joe started writing sketches, and the plan was let's do a sketch comedy show, mm-hmm. and we were trying to we wrote like thirty sketches, and th- that was cool because we were like in at his house, we're smoking weed, we're writing sketches. I would come up with an idea, Joe would make it funny. I'd come up with another idea, Joe would make it funny. Joe just made it funny. I'm like, you know what? Fuck being a stand-up comedian. I don't have the public speaking skills to do it. I have the ideas, but I, I and plus going at, like watching Joe on stage being like a fucking samurai Shaolin monk on stage. I'm like, oh my god, I can never be that good. So I decided, you know what? I'll just write with Joe on the side, and we'll work on the sketch comedy show. And then he got offered the Man Show, and then Joe called me and goes, dude. I don't, we don't even need a picture show. We already got a show, the man show. So then I started writing with him on the man show. That's an hour story. That was a disaster, but, um, yeah, Yeah, you can either get, there's two things when you see somebody like a, you know, a samurai, the art like Joe or like a Sebastian Menescalco or one of those guys, you, there's two things you can either get inspired or you get intimidated. You know, so you can either like be like, oh, I'm never going to do that. And and it kind of runs you off or you see that and you're like, wow, I got to get to work. And that's usually when when I see a a comedian really destroy a room, like I would see like Joey Diaz go on like in the main room or the OR, like sold out rooms and just the thunderous roars and how how quickly it was and how constantly it is 
to me as a comic, I see that and I'm like, how do I get there? Like, how do I? And then that's like, that's where I get inspired. Like I got to put in a lot more work, you know? Yeah. I, I saw that was something that I saw happen to Joe when after, when Dave Chappelle went in the main room right after it was when he was starting to reemerge after the whole escape to Africa, you know, turning down the $55 million deal on, uh, on comedy central, all that shit. He started to come back and his, his act was basically talking about what happened, you know, and me, he just showed up in the main room, dude. And me and Joe were sitting there and we were losing it. He was destroying just, we were buckling. We were looking at each other just like we couldn't even breathe. And after that show, Joe stormed out of the main room, walked towards the parking lot. And I was like behind him. And he, he was just like on a mission. He goes, I'd never been so inspired to write in all my life. He just wanted to start writing. So just like what you're saying, it just, it could inspire you or, or make you want to fucking hide under a rock. Yeah. Crazy, right? So, where did you grow up? You're from the East Coast, right? Midwest, actually. Midwest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kansas. Kansas. Yeah, baby. I had just recently, recently said to a friend like uh, a couple of days ago, like Kansas. That's the one state I've never been to. Kansas. Okay. Well, what, I mean, what, have what you cities been? are in Kansas? I mean, it's. It's Kansas City. Uh, I grew up in Overland Park. Sam Tripley and I are coming to your town. Catch us on the road doing tinfoil hat comedy. Follow me on Instagram at tinfoil hat comedy night. Friday, December 2nd, we'll be in Calusa, California. Saturday, December 3rd, we'll be in Fresno. And February 24th, we'll be in Spokane, Washington. February 25th, we'll be in Tacoma, Washington for more information and to buy your tickets see you on the road so you've been to kansas they're so similar okay because i have been to kansas city so maybe i ha- i was in kansas someone told me you, I, we been- were in missouri and i'm like kansas city's in missouri i don't get it yeah so i was yeah, confused yeah. okay yeah yeah um yeah that's where i grew up in the midwest i mean you're not missing out on too much uh there there uh other than like you know if you haven't had barbecue there that's like the main thing to get the next time that you're in in kansas or, okay. or missouri the my favorite even i like it even more than texas but i grew up in kansas city so i might have you know be affected that way did you have brothers and sisters older brother younger sister and what did you want to be when you were like 10 you know what i wanted to be hey uh when, when i was super young i wanted to be a uh, a pediatrician and uh like how did that happen so we did a career day in in grade school and like i I think what heavily influenced this was um we saw a book that had salary in it and towards the very back end of the book were the job positions that paid the most it literally went from like you know, maintenance worker, like towards the front of this book to the back end, which is like lawyers, doctors, radiologists, you know, like specialized yeah. different things and stuff like that. And, uh, I think that as a kid, I'm like, Oh, I got like, it'd be awesome to make like a, a ton of money. You know what I mean? And yeah. that was, 
and, and, and pediatrician, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm good at, with kids. I'm good at making them laugh and stuff like that. Like, Oh, like, my friends are kids. My best exactly, friends are kids. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I like in my, in my, you know, little 10 year old head, I was like, I want to do that or like, uh, or be like an actor or something. But I had no idea in the Midwest, like you don't know how to become a comedian or an actor, like, especially before the internet was like really a thing. I would go to the library and get books to, to research, like, uh, you know, what I found out later, uh, as internet became more of a thing, like in high school and stuff like that for me, uh, was like second city and the groundlings and different improv places. I found out that all my favorite comics were either improvisers or they were stand-up comedians. Sam Tripley and I are coming to your town. Catch us on the road doing tinfoil hat comedy. Follow me on Instagram at tinfoil hat comedy night. Go to samtripley.com for more information and to buy your tickets. See you on the road. So I was like, okay, as I got older, you kind of figure out like, oh, you can actually, you can make, like make money and a living like doing that. Like it was mind blowing to me as a Wait, kid. You grew you up in the nineties. How, how yeah. old, what, what year was it when you were 10? When I was 10, it would have been 98. Oh my God. So you grew up in the two thousands. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Damn. like I you basically, internet was basically for me. I remember getting that first AOL disc, you know, like, like two and net zero discs and all that stuff, like for the free one hour of internet kind of thing. So the dial up all the way to now. So like, I've been, I was there right before like the internet, like kind of took off and like started to get like kind of big and stuff like that. And I was one of those kids who was always good with tech and stuff like that. And I would help my dad, like, like set up computer stuff at, at like a young age and like throughout my teens and all that stuff. Um, so I didn't really know, like, you don't know, especially being a kid in the Midwest, there's no comedians or actors that, that my family knew or my friends knew or anything. So it kind of sounds like a make-believe industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to continue with that story, but we're going to fast forward and play. I, I want, I want the, the people at home that don't know you to, before we get into your origin story to, uh, see what you're doing now and this is this is one of my favorite bits this is you and bobby lee improvise improvising john lennon and yoko my lovely yoko oh yeah i, need I love flower. the sound of your voice i miss when we sing together would you like to would you like to sing again yeah, yoko? Yeah, yeah. let's do the imagine okay yeah Here we are. imagine all the people Living for today. today. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no wasabi. It's easy <laughs> so, if you try. The sushi wouldn't taste good. No hell below her. Imagine there's no ninja. It's just <laughs> it's just as beautiful as I remember. Oh, it's so beautiful to me too. How come you like Asian ladies so much? Because you know when you, we were dating, you you cheated on me one one time with another Asian lady. Why you like Asian ladies so much? I thought it was you. Oh, because <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all look the same. Yes, that's right. Play the other one. Here's the other one. <laughs> Can I get one more look up there? Come on. All right, let me just look real quick. Good Lord. Good Lord. I mean, this thing is not... This, it'd be yanking for sure. Hold on, let me pull this piece back right here. Oh, God. 
that is a whole other section. Yeah. That's like a it's a, a whole nother studio apartment. It's there. almost like two pussies. That's like a, it's like the, you just showed me the east wing and then the west wing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But it's just one. You think them bitches out there got this? <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> she is hilarious. What's her name? Trailer Trash Tammy is that character, and then uh, it's uh, her name's Chelsea Lynn who plays that character. She's oh so God. fun to improv with. Oh, dude, she's so good. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> so that's so we fast forwarded to what you have become. So now we're going back. You're right. ten to fifteen. When do you, when do you figure out that um, uh, it's you want to be an actor? You want to be a comedian? How does that come about? And so what do you while, do about it? So like while I was uh, like, I literally went like even in middle school, I went in for job day. I went and shadowed a pediatrician. Like I literally like that. I, that's how long I wanted to do it. Like I wow. was, I was like, oh, wow. Um, and basically like while I'm doing this, I was doing plays at school and doing like the acting thing and like dramas and different stuff like that at school. So like, I always had the performance bug in me since I was a little kid. Like I used to, my parents would have me, um, I've always been good at mimicking voices and doing like uh, impressions and stuff like that. Even like cartoons, even as a little kid, like I could hear something and mimic it right away. So I was always good at that. Uh, can you do Joe Biden? Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. Eddie, uh, Eddie, 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 Eddie Bravo is going to be here. Listen, Jack. Uh, listen, Jack. <laughs> listen, listen, Jack. Uh, what about Trump? <clears throat> well, a lot of people are wondering whether or not I can do Trump. Eddie Bravo, it is fantastic <laughs> to be here on the program with you. You know, we might, we might get into some... Com- Conspiracy theories. I'm not so sure. We're learning about this young guy right now. We don't know if it's going to be good, whether it's going anywhere. I don't like him. We'll see if you do. We'll see. <laughs> and what people don't know, uh, or people uh, people that don't know you, you have a an amazing singing voice. Oh, thank you, brother. Oh my God, we've you, dude, we've had some. How such, many times have we jammed? jams? Yeah, we'll get into the whole jam, all the yeah, jams yeah, yeah. that we've done before. Yeah. But give me uh, just a couple lines of Justin Timberlake. All right. Hey, girl, I remember everything that you play. Said that you are moving on now. Maybe we can do, maybe we can do the same. <laughs> Dude, you have a great voice, man. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, okay, so now you're you're balls deep in in, in being a kids doctor, and uh, you're 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 in drama, and you're acting. And when did you realize you could sing? You early, early. I was the only boy alto in choir. Oh shit! It was it was me and all these girls because. I've always been able to hit the falsetto really well since even since I was a little kid and all the other friends of mine, their voices were changing and stuff. And they were like, "Eh, their voices were cracking and stuff. Mine never really cracked. Like it it transitioned pretty like, but I I don't really have a very deep voice even now. But uh, a lot of my friends like went to like, you know, the more bassy and and more, more baritone kind of singing voices and stuff like that. But mine always stayed like to a mid the kind of alto range. Uh, so I would always be paired up for the high sections with the girls awesome. <laughs> back in choir days. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever hook up with any of those girls? 
dude, no, I no, no, with that I, voice, no, I, you, you know, it's weird looking back. I definitely could have hooked up with a bunch of girls, but I was so focused on, you know, I'm the horse with the carrot dangling in front of me, which is like, like comedy and, and, and that kind of stuff. Like I, I didn't really get too distracted really like really my whole life. Like I've, you know, was there ever a time you wanted to be in a band or write music and, and start writing original stuff? Yeah. I mean, so I've, you know, that was one kind of cool thing about the pandemic was I got a chance to kind of write a bunch of original songs and stuff like that. Um, I've only released really like one of them. Um, I've got a bunch that I wrote, um, over that like year or whatever. Um, but I definitely thought about it, like being in some different bands. I've been in a lot of comedy bands where I've written, I had a music duo for years called Reagan and Watkins, where we, we put out an album um, and we were touring with that act and stuff like that. And I would play sax and I would, I would sing and I'd play guitar occasionally. And then my buddy, he played guitar and harmonica. And you guys uh, toured. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. So you were in a, a touring band. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we would go out and like headline little markets here and there, like kind of like one nighters. We never got like to the point where we were doing full weekends, but we do one nighters and like, Arizona and California and like Boston and different kind places of like that. Just comedy music, like original songs. We do some parody stuff, but most of it was originals. Uh, original that, comedy stuff. Yeah. And we put out a full um, like vinyl, like LP, like we put out like a, like a full album. So um, yeah, that was actually my first comedy album was I put out was that music comedy album. And then a couple of years later, I put out my first stand up comedy album. So, so how, how did you end up, making the transition from Kansas to Hollywood. So when I was doing research on the internet, I was, I was saying like these improv schools kept coming up and there's not really a stand-up school, you know, like not that's like, you know, revered or respected by anybody yeah. across yeah. the board. Uh, they, they exist. I've heard of some comics that do them. Um, and if it works for them, that's great. Uh, but it, there's not like a, a, a brand that's kind of honored that's across the nation. And I, I kept seeing that second city, like Chris Farley, one of my favorites ever. Uh, he's one of my guys, as far as like, like comedic inspiration of guys who I look up to, he went to second city and a place called IO, um, improv Olympic in Chicago. And, uh, I was looking between moving to LA, Chicago, or New York before coming out to, uh, from Kansas. I'm like, I know I want to do this. I want to do stand up. I want to do improv. I have no idea how to get started as a kid from Kansas. Uh, and LA had a second city and I was like, Oh, great. I want to, I want to move to one of these. And like LA has the best living conditions and like, and I want to do a lot of stuff like comedy, acting, music, LA sounds the best for me for what I'm trying to do. So I moved out to LA, signed up for second city classes and they started letting me intern there, uh, after I was hanging out there so much after a while. And that ended up I paid for all my classes with intern hours at second city. How do you make the move though? You just, you, you just don't pack your bags. I mean, were your parents behind you? Did, how much money did you have to save? What, what, did you go come out by yourself or with a girlfriend, with a friend? So I knew nobody out here. Uh, I made a road trip out here with a couple of buddies and we looked at Craigslist uh, spots to see who needed a roommate. So I literally would look at Craigslist and see what places were open. And then I would go to the place and check out the room and see what was up. And 
Uh, I put in an offer on one place uh, that the rent back then, it was a three bedroom uh, with one bathroom in Hollywood that was $600 a month. And oh yeah, it's the cheapest I found by far. And somebody was ahead of me and the landlord's like, Hey, if this guy's credit falls through, then the place is yours. That guy's credit fell through. He called me. He's like, do you want it? And I said, yep. And I, I, that was, he called me when I was back in Kansas after that short road trip. And then within a couple of weeks, I was out living in LA. I, I packed up my car, my dad and my brother helped me pack up my car. And, uh, my brother drove with me out to LA. He was old enough to, to rent a truck to help me get like a bed and like furniture, like a dresser and stuff like that. So he rented a U-Haul for me and he helped me move into my LA apartment. And then he was gone two days later and I was all alone in my new place with the roommates in LA. And, uh, luckily I have got a supportive family that, that they were like, you got to go chase your dreams, that kind of thing. Uh, but I came out to LA with $4,000 in my bank account. I was like, this is enough to last me to at least get a job. Cause I knew I needed to get a job immediately, but I was like, I got $4,000 and this is enough to get me started out here. How did you get the, that 4,000? What were you doing in Kansas? Oh, I worked like crazy in Kansas. I, I, uh, so I was, before I, I moved out to Kansas, I was working full-time at a car wash and, uh, I was also working at a radio station. I was doing morning radio in Kansas city. You were washing cars. Wow. Year round in Kansas. Washing car- So all day, how, how many cars do you think you washed on an average day? Like 10 and way more. Oh, way more, way more. It was more like at least in the, at least 15 to 20, like at least like, every cause day. Oh, just, every day. Because it all depends. Cars down. It all depends. Some some cars just get the exterior, and those were the ones that you were trying to always get because you could move on to the next one, and the likeliness of not getting stiffed on a tip. Yeah. You know, your percentage goes way down if you're spending three minutes on a car just drying it versus 15 minutes on a car with like a bunch of stuff. And then if somebody doesn't tip you, then you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. So you were washing cars. Oh, what yeah. What was the other job you had? Uh, morning radio in Kansas city. Oh, what'd you do on that? Like I did, uh, for, I was, I was, uh, I was like an on-air sidekick for a little bit. I did like oh. man on the street segments. I did, I answered the phones. I'd give away prizes on the phone and then I would banter with the main DJ. Uh, they loved the fact that I was a virgin. So they would always do segments around me being a virgin on the show and, and different like stuff like that. Oh shit. Yeah. That, that probably didn't pay anything though. Right. No, it paid, uh, I think if I remember correctly, it was about, I think it was like eight twenty-five an hour, but I was on the air and all the interns of the station hated me. Cause I was, I was 19 with an on-air radio position, which is like unheard of for any market. You know what I mean? To be like an actual cast member, like on a show. Did they bring up your car washing? Was that part of your persona as well? No, you know, what got me a job was a comedic music video for that. I, I sent in something. Uh, I made this ridiculous video about how I was in love with Oprah, like Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> they, they thought it was hilarious. It was a music video. I made this original song where I was singing about how much I love Oprah and it was called a love ballad for Oprah. And it was like this R and B kind of pop song. And I shot it in my basement and around my place. Uh, and I've edited the video myself and sent it in, uh, for them. I was like, 
uh, they were looking for funny people to work the job. And then they sent me out with a Zoom recorder, an old Zoom recorder, and they had me interview people in the street with the Zoom recorder, like like me holding it like a brick up to my mouth and then up to people interview style. Okay. And then I ended up getting the job. And and uh, you were doing both those jobs right before you made the move. I was, it was one of the busiest I've ever been. I was I was doing morning radio from six to ten a.m. Then eleven to like three thirty, I was working the car wash, and then I was going full time night school before I moved out to LA. And when I got my associate's degree, that's when I was like, all right, I'm moving out to LA. Damn. Hard yeah. worker. No wonder you were a virgin. No time. I yeah, put, no dude, time for pussy. No, I literally, it was a treat for me to see like a, a, a movie theater movie, like on a Friday night because I was so busy. I was like, this is amazing. Like if I had time to do that, I was like, this is great. So then you, you, you take this road trip out with your friends, couple friends. Yeah. Cause they were on the bubble. They were thinking about moving too. So like, we were all kind of looking at places like, Oh, it'd be cool. Like if we could find a place, but they were kind of like on the bubble about it. And I was the only one that I was like, if I find a place, I'm, I'm, I'm signing like an application, like right here, right now. And how many days did you stay out on that road trip? Was like a week, two weeks. That was just a week. That was just like a quick, like even less than a week, to be honest. You guys drove. How long did the the drive take? The 25 hour drive, 25 hour drive. Yeah. Straight. You guys were, you guys were rotating. We would rotate, but we would go straight through. We didn't stop at any hotels. We just keep driving. Wow! Wow! Yeah. So, um, you guys get on Craigslist. You find a couple spots. You get back to Kansas. You, one of those spots come through, and now you're like, "Fuck that!" You moved out. You went with your brother. Your brother helped you move. You got 4K. Uh, what was the first job you got when you were out in Hollywood? First job I got. What what it, what cross street were you on? What, what what's the cross streets? The first place that you lived in Hollywood. Santa Monica and Cahuenga Boulevard. Damn, right there. Right there. Sa- Santa Monica and Cahuenga. Shit. Okay. Bro, I used to be able to. I used to literally skateboard to Second City on Hollywood Boulevard, and then it was. I was literally a six minute drive to the Comedy Store. Yeah. 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 It sure. was perfect location for the like for your first spot in la you i couldn't have found a better spot my first spot in hollywood was <clears throat> off la brea and uh hollywood boulevard like right there it was sycamore and hollywood boulevard oh Ooh, yeah this is right by, the, right by the old tavern like like right right like it was straight up the street from sycamore on sunset uh, yes. Yeah. No, no, exactly. You're right. You're right. Yes. But this was Sycamore and, and Hollywood Boulevard. It was a, a build like it was a hotel in 1852. You know, it was an old building and it was one room, me and a roommate. One, it was like a hotel. Like you go into a hotel. It's like one room. That, that's what it was. And we stapled a black sheet across the ceiling like that was my room that's your room <laughs> Four four hundred and ninety five dollars a month 1991 yeah. now what year was it when you made the move to hollywood 2009 2009 okay yeah and how old were you i was 20 when uh when i moved out to uh, damn okay yeah. okay yeah by yourself your friends didn't make it you came out by yourself Multiple how long did people. it take you to find a job 
And w- what was that first couple weeks like? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Uh, first job that I found was, again, through Craigslist. It was That was the spot back in the day. Yeah, like yeah. That's where I'd that's find jobs. You know, like a little bit of everything. Um, there was uh, this job that was... It was music promotion for artists. So this was back when MySpace was still a big thing, right? Hell yeah, hell yeah. So what the job entailed, it was they had a bunch of leads for you that were like printed out and you would call up these different artists that they had found on MySpace and they're like, hey, we're interested in you as a company. Like we'd love to put together an electronic press kit for you and get your get your stuff together. So and shop you around to different agencies and different stuff like that. So they did, you know, they would put together a press kit for you, but I found out later after I'd worked there for a bit, I had like a weird feeling about the company because I was like, I kept I would keep asking, like, what kind of results are we getting for these people? You know what I mean? Other than like, I know we're getting making a little portfolio for them, but like like, what are we, you know, what are we doing? And they would always like, kind of like write me off. Like, like, yeah, yeah. You know, we've done this, a little bit of that. Turns out I was working for a scam. It was yeah. a scam company. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, when I found out that it was a scam, I stopped working there. Uh, and I happened to get a job at Starbucks, um, after I'd been working there a couple months. Cause like I did the math on how many hours I was putting in. I wasn't good at the job. I, I wasn't good at selling this imaginary product to people. Yeah. I was making like a dollar an hour there, bro. Like, <laughs> like, because it was all commission based. So like oh, the first couple months I was there, I was literally, I was looking, I was like, I'm making like a dollar an hour at this job. You're getting, you were getting scammed as an employee yes. and the company was scamming the customers. Yes. Everybody getting scammed. Everybody's yeah. getting scammed. Yeah. I got, I got caught in a scam like that too, but I was like, I, I was one of the customers. Like, uh, you know, those, uh, fake modeling agencies that, uh, of course, the fake ones where they pretend they're a, a modeling agency, but really they're just a photography studio, but they get you in. You want to be a model. You want to easy money and me trying to be a rock star. I just wanted a job when you're trying to be a rock star. The, the, the job that pays your rent is got to be a, a job that um, doesn't take any energy because you need to save your energy to rehearse with the band. You can't work manual labor eight hours and then go rehearse with your band it doesn't work so as as an aspiring rock star you want like the dream jobs were jobs where you get to sit down and not move and get paid for it of course if you could just like like the dream job for me was the guy before the electronic gas stations and shit um where you had to go up well they still kind of have there's a guy that sits in a booth and he takes your money and you go ten dollars on pump four nine dollars on pump three and the guy takes the money and then he presses buttons sure dude that was to me that was the dream job for a musician you get to sit there you could even play practice guitar while you're sitting there right and um yeah so uh um anyway so when you see these ads like oh earn 500 dollars an hour being a model you could be a model you could and you know i'm a fucking little idiot kid i'm like damn okay let me go check this out and then of course they're gonna say oh my god you have so much potential oh my you have god such a great look. oh my god yes you could do we want to sign you and they sit you down you're like what I'm like holy shit for all your 10th planet jujitsu merchandise please visit 10thplanetjj.com 
slash shop. We also got a look into a t-shirt that just dropped. Thank you very much for your support. They want me to be a fucking model. God damn. And then you're all, and, okay. then, and then they let you talk shit to all your friends and family for a day. You know what I mean? They, they fucking make you dig that hole and then you talk shit. And then when you come back to go, oh yeah, but we need to make a portfolio out of, you know, out of, and it's going to cost 500 bucks, you know, yep. like, oh shit. You know, and you just told your whole, all, everybody bragging, like, I'm going to be a fucking model shit. They want to fucking pay me $500 an hour type shit. And then really you got scammed and uh, um, I fucking did it, dude. I fucking oh, bought that fucking portfolio, dude. And uh, they never get you one fucking job. No, no, they, there was there was this one weird audition thing that I went to. It was weird. It was weird. It was like a, some kind of weird. I don't know how. I don't know what was going on, but it was a weird audition for some uh, uh, performance group. And then I got on stage and they wanted me to dance. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? But besides that, there was nothing, 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 nothing. And then all of a sudden they call me, they call me and they go, they couldn't even fucking believe it. They couldn't even believe that somebody asked for me personally. They're like, it doesn't make any sense. They go, they go, yeah, I get a phone call from the fucking agency that just ripped me up. And they go, yeah, we got a job for you. Um, you know, they asked for you specifically. I go, what? They go, yeah, they asked for Edgar Bravo specifically. Edgar is my real name. And I'm like, they asked for me? And they go, they go yeah, I don't know what, I, but here's the address. And, you know, it's two o'clock, whatever. They, they asked for you. They want, can you make it? I'm like, yeah, holy shit. Hung up the phone. I couldn't believe it. They asked for me? That's for Edgar Bravo personally. Oh my God, I'm going to fucking make it. You know, I, they saw the fucking inner star in me. You know, they saw that shit. And I was, I couldn't fucking believe it. Showed, dude, I showed up to this fucking big ass. It was in Culver City. I show up. And as soon as I open the office, there's a sec secretary sitting there. She goes, Edgar Bravo? I'm like, yeah. I'm, she goes, have a seat. Boom. I'm like, what? And I'm sitting there in the waiting room. I'm like, I walked in and she looked at me and said, Edgar Bravo. I say, yeah, I couldn't believe it. It's better than I even imagined. The secretary was waiting for me. So I'm like sitting there in, in, in the waiting room. I couldn't fuck. I'm thinking I'm going to be a fucking superstar. Right. I'm 19 years old. 19 thinking, dude, they know what's up. They know what's up. I try to tell those motherfuckers. I try to fucking tell you, motherfucker. And uh, I was so confident. And then someone else walks in, and then I could hear in the periphery. She goes, Edgar Bravo? And the, the person said, yes. I'm like, what? And then another person sits in the waiting room. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I'm like, holy shit. I'm just sitting there like, why did they say my name when this other person walked in? And then another person walks in. They go, Edgar Bravo? And I'm sitting in the waiting room going, what? Why are they calling everybody? Is there everybody Edgar Bravo? And then we said that. I goes, your name is Edgar Bravo? And she goes, no. Because we're here to see Edgar Bravo. I go, I'm Edgar Bravo. They go, what? 
you're Edgar Bravo. I go, I'm Edgar. So I went up to the, 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 uh, the secretary chick that, and I said, what's up with Edgar Bravo? She goes, yeah, this is Edgar Bravo's office. I go, Edgar Bravo, I'm Edgar Bravo. She goes, no, no, this office, this is Edgar Bravo's a producer. It's like, he's a casting director. I'm like, Oh my God, that was a mix up in the names. <laughs> it all came. I'm like, they weren't asking for me. They had called someone in that fake talent agency and they said Edgar Bravo. And whoever answered the phone probably remembered my name. And they and they said, Yeah, we have Edgar Bravo here. And go, okay, we were looking for Edgar Bravo. And it was just a big mix up in the name. It turns out there's a movie producer a spanish movie producer named edgar bravo spanish movies my spanish is horrible i'm mexican and i was the first one in my giant mexican family to lose the language mm -hmm. so i'm there and then edgar bravo comes out and we're like talking about the mix-up and he can't believe it he shows me his id i show him his id he's like oh my god what how crazy and he goes you know what you know what come back here and let's, let's do an audition anyways. You know, I mean, this, this has to mean something. Yeah. So he took me in the back and he gave me like a, like a, some lines and I had, and he wanted me to improv in Spanish. He set Oof. up like a scene. Yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna give you a shot, man. You're here, you know, maybe. And I'm like, my Spanish is no good. He goes, you just got to give it a shot. Give it a shot. Here's the situation. Da, 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 da. I don't even remember the situation, but I just remember that it was the worst audition possible, dude. I did. My Spanish was so bad and I was trying my hardest because I kept thinking shit. Oh, my God. People are going to could maybe book this. Me. All my friends and my family are going to fuck. They'll never they'll never they're going to tell this story every Thanksgiving. They're never going to let me forget this story. So I'm like, I had to make this audition work. And I tried my hardest, but I just remember him just sitting there going, oh, okay. Um, we'll call you if we need you. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was like bombing on stage with comedy, but trying to do comedy in a different language. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that. Imagine trying to do comedy in Spanish. <laughs> it's pretty rough. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my Edgar Bravo story. God damn it. I thought I was going to be famous. Shit. I, I had um, one scam because there's there, there. When I first moved to L.A., it's like they can sniff you from wherever state you're from. Like they know that there's a ton of desperate people always moving to L.A. So they're going to capitalize on that as much as possible. Yeah. There, there is a place because I was looking for radio jobs. I was like, I've worked the radio market in Kansas city. Maybe I can get a job as, you know, a lower level position at one of these facilities out here. I worked for a company called intercom, which is one of the main radio, uh, uh, national radio outlets, um, in the different States. And I was like, maybe I can work for this company out there. Try to get in. Couldn't found an audition for a radio network it was called something like american radio network right and it was this old shady building when i rolled up i was like ah this this looks a little beat up but i had been in some other radio stations before and sometimes the outside is just not kept up and the inside is still working facilities whatever i go into audition for it and they give me copy to read and Basically, you're auditioning to see if you are going to be on-air talent for their network. And it was 
a bunch of other people that were waiting in the room. And I was like, Ooh, this is like tough competition. They, they called in a bunch of people, you know, that's, that's how I'm looking at it. I'm like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta read. Well, I do the audition. And then they're like, that was great. We want to give you a spot on our network. And I was like, really? <laughs> dude, it's so easy to get us, dude. It's so easy. I know. It's like because- the tourists, the tourists that um, they show up and they take those star tours on the buses. You only do that once. There's never repeat customers. Right. So, but they don't care. Mentality. They don't care. They got new new tourists coming in all the time. They don't give a fuck. They're not relying at all on you coming back. They know no. you ain't coming back. No. <laughs> but they got you that once. So they. So I do this, and basically, this was before podcasts was really a thing, right? Or or it wasn't popular yet. You know, um, they say that they want to give me my own station. (laughs) Your own station. And then they let you talk shit for a day or two to all your friends. (laughs) So, so basically, uh, they're like, yeah, you know, it's a, it's on AM, but, uh, you know, they were going to give me one of those random, like point, you know, like 10, but you got to pay. Yeah, yeah, you got to pay the transfer have, fee. You have to pay. They're like, it goes out on the internet. Uh, and we have like a great following that's going to be listening to you. And I called up my, uh, I got in touch with my old DJ who was at that station in Kansas City. I was like, have you ever heard of American Radio Network? He goes, no. He goes, I've been in the business for over 30 years. He goes, you need to run from them. He goes, don't give them any more of your info. Don't take their calls. Nothing. He goes, they are trying to scam you. He said, they are trying to prey on your dreams. I'll never forget that. Somebody trying to prey, like literally like a tiger hunting you in the wild. They're trying to prey on your dreams. That's what he said. Totally. That's perfect. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. <laughs> so well, you ran, you listened to, I him. ran, <laughs> I listened to him because for a second there, I was like, Whoa, am I going to have like my own radio show? Like, you know what I mean? And then yeah. oh, I yeah. called somebody and he's like, dude, this is not legit at all. <laughs> dude. There's so much of that shit. There's a lot. I went to one of those uh, agencies early on that, uh, that they, they made the mistake though with me of, they told me at the end of the meeting, that they were going to take, they said that they were going to take 30% rather than the 10%, which is it's 10% across the board. What, whether you're a, you know, manager agent, they're like, we're going to take 30%. And then at the end, they're like, oh, we want you to see our headshot photographer. It only costs 500 bucks. And, I, and to me, I was like 500 bucks. That's like, that's a crazy amount of money. Like I have $4,000 to my name. Like I can't, you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's most of my money. And uh, I asked around, Luckily, uh, like when I've been working at Starbucks, so I'm like, is it normal to for them to take this much of a percentage? And is it normal to get $500 headshots? And I had enough people who I started to get to know that they're like, you need to leave, you get out of there. So I, I got good friends, luckily, who gave me tips that were like, stay away from that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's so much of that. And it's easy prey because everyone is... You know, you're so desperate and you want it so bad, man. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) And like those books, they, they, uh, for musicians, 
everybody gets those books with all the addresses to all the record labels so that you could send demo tapes in. So they, they, you know, you go to Guitar Center and they got that fucking book, dude, every record label's address. And uh, um, everybody had that shit. If you were a musician and you were- They had the same, they had the same thing for, uh, for, for acting agencies. I yeah. remember, dude, I, I remember going into years ago I tried to go walk into CAA uh, <laughs> with like a headshot, a resume and all this stuff. And I got stopped at the door. I was like, Hey, uh, where are your, uh, where are your drop-offs? And they're like, what? I go, yeah, where would I, where, where can I drop off my headshot and resume? They're like, we don't do that here. We're CAA. <laughs> I was like, okay. I couldn't even get in the building, but yeah. the lower level agencies, they had drop-offs where you could for consideration drop off your headshot and resume and different stuff like that. And that's how I got one of my first commercial agencies was actually through one of those mail outs where I mailed out my stuff to like almost a hundred agencies and a few of them responded. And that was one of the agencies, uh, one of my first commercial agencies was through a blind mail submission. Yeah. I yeah. got a response too. when when I first came out, right when we came out, me and my buddy James, we made a demo tape and it was like rap, metal, goth, electronica, weird shit, like 91, 92. And bought one of those books, sent a demo tape to every goddamn record label. And we got fucking response right away from Rachel Matthews from Hollywood Basic Records, which was owned by Disney. Yeah. And we set up a showcase. Showcase was a disaster. She showed up with Steve Jones. They show up. They walk. They get up. After. In the middle of the first song, they walk out. We watch them. We watch them walk out. And, you know, we thought we were going to get signed. We thought, oh, oh, this is it. This is the, this is the part of the this story is the moment. where we blow up. Yeah, this, right is now. Where, this is where it all happens. And they walk the fuck out. But it did. The mail out did work, though. It yeah. did. We that got, one worked. Yeah. Yeah. So did you ever do extra work? Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, so did yeah. I. Yeah, bro. Dude, I randomly uh the so the apartment that i moved into it was part it was it was an old house that the owner cut in half and made a duplex right okay so it was this duplex but then behind the duplex was an eightplex apartment it was a very weird setup so like it's a gate and then there's a house and then behind the house is another eight apartments, and then underneath that apartment was where the the you could park your car. Okay. Uh, and one of my neighbors, he happened to work at LA Casting, which is like they cast like all the background stuff for like a lot of these movies and TV shows. He goes, uh, he goes, I, I don't think I don't know if it's a if you want or whatever, but I could if you want, I could get you some background work. I was like, you can, you can give me like. I'm like, that'd be the best thing. Yeah, that, that'd be amazing. So he got me multiple gigs for background work. And so I worked on uh, 90210 when they did that reboot. I worked on uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I worked on Entourage uh, when that was on, which was a cool, I, I it was one of those weird Hollywood full circle moments. I did background work and was riffing with Piven like, literally in 2009 or 10 when i was fresh off the boat from kansas and at a show recently i was on the same show as him where i was the comic closing out the night and i was like this is just kind of a weird full circle moment for me because like i did background work with that dude 
And now I'm closing out the show that he did a spot on. Like to me that that's like, that's crazy, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I did extra stuff too. Like I said, as an aspiring rock star, you just want to do the easiest low energy job possible. And if, you know, acting, you know, when I came out to Hollywood, you hear about, oh, you could be an extra, you get, you know, $40 a day. You know, everybody, when every young, I'm 21 years old. I'm like, I'll do like whatever. Like Mine was 64 a day, 64 a day. Yeah. And I did three extra gigs. I know for sure too, but it's got, there's gotta be one other extra gig I did, but one of them I did, I did an extra gig for, uh, uh, Corey Feldman, Corey Hain movie that one of their last movies, when they were on their downside, when it was like just collapsing, they're all heroined out and everything. It was rock and roll high. Remember that rock and roll high school with the Ramones and then in the seventies, that was a rock and roll rock, high rock, school. Rock, 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 rock and roll high school. It's like an 80s, late 70s, early 80s high school movie that the Ramones were in. Well, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman were in the, like a reboot kind of thing called Rock and Roll High Forever. So they're, they're like in a high school, but it's like a dumbest movie ever. Dumbest movie ever. But I... I was the dude in the classroom. I had long hair down to my waist. I'm like the metal dude. So my job was to be just in the background, the only dude with long hair, to have a Walkman on, and I'm headbanging the whole time. So no matter what scene is going on, they want me headbanging. I'm the headbanger. I'm listening to, I'm like oblivious to everything, headbanging. And I thought that was the dumbest shit ever. But I'm like, fuck, okay. So I would just like kind of move a little bit, you know what I mean? And the director's like, we want you to really head back, like more. And I'm like, oh. So then I'd be like a little bit, you know, more intense. And they were like, cut, cut, cut. We, uh, um, we need you to really, we need energy, more energy. I'm like, ah. Oh. So then I started like headbanging like this. That's more like it just, just keep that going. So they wanted me headbanging in the background. And I was fucking furious. Had a leather jacket. I'm the metal dude in school. And they could, they could, half the time they couldn't find Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Like the producer, like, well, he, well, where did you see him last? Well, he was in the parking lot. Well, you find him. They, they can't find them and shit. And then, there was this other scene where they used me at twice. So I'm the I'm the headbanger in the classroom, and I'm also um, the the guy they had didn't show up, but they had a scene where it was detention from hell, and detention from hell. They like pan through like dudes that have been in detention forever. Like they'll have a pilgrim who's like a skeleton pilgrim, and he's like at, a, at still in detention. And then they have like an Indian in detention. And then they have a '70s punker, Sex Pistols dude in prison, you know, or, or uh, in de- still in detention. And then like you know, like someone from every era, detention from hell. These guys been in detention forever. So I ended up being the punk guy that was in detention since the '70s. But they were trying to, but since the punk dude didn't show up, they thought they could take my long hair that was down to my waist and grease it up into a mohawk. So they, and it it would have been like the tallest mohawk ever. And they dyed my hair red and blue and they were going to make a mohawk, but the hair would never stay. It would never, it, it would always just collapse. It was too long. And so then they just said, fuck it. They left it red and blue and they just left it long. And I was still the punk dude it's been in detention for 20 years. 
it's the dumbest movie ever but <laughs> i also did a a menace to society low budget type movie like a like a south central gangbanger movie and i was like there was a club scene and everyone's dancing coming i was just a random dude dancing in the club <laughs> and they cut to me real tight too like for a split second before they went to the next scene they, we were doing like a uh, a move called the rooster it was very important that we all did the rooster in this particular scene we were practicing in the alley they had a choreographer like we got it everyone got to do the rooster i'm like okay so we're practicing the rooster and uh they got a tight that one was called damn street wars street wars <laughs> oh, oh then i did some like stunt work later on for, through the ufc and uh uh ridiculous movies oh that's uh that'll take forever to talk about maybe and maybe next time but now how do you what's your first break in comedy like what club did you finally find your way in and get regular spots Ooh, I, well i want to say i mean the comedy store is kind of the first place i well the second city, first off and foremost, was a place where I started getting the most stage time. Uh, they were really good to me as far as like uh, I, I would do sketch shows there and then I do improv shows. And that's where I started my show stand up on the spot was actually at Second City. And okay. I, I, so I've been doing that show since 2010. So that's like where Tom I, Segura went to, right? Didn't Tom Segura go there? Or was it Groundlings? He, I think, went to Groundlings. Groundlings and Second City, they hate each other? Are they rivals? No, it's just a different way of doing improv. They're, they teach kind of different things. It's all the same thing, but there's different ways to kind of get there, if that makes sense. But it's you know, basically improv. It's kind of like, okay, you know how there's different like forms of jujitsu and martial arts? It's kind of that, where it's like the main thing is fighting, but like you get more specific with the skill sets under the different schools that you go to. Okay, okay. Um, just the way that they teach, like, you know, how some like techniques are more about being on the floor versus like, like grappling or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. if I, if I, if I'm, that makes if sense. I'm painting that the right sense. analogy. Um, so do you remember any of your first sketches you wrote? What was the first off the top of your head? Ooh. Oh man, we did, uh, I, I did this one sketch that I really that I uh, that I really liked that um, instead of um, like a singing telegram, it was uh, a buddy and I. We did this for our uh, like our review show. Uh, it was waiters at a restaurant that were hired. They they were tipped to break up with the person at the table. So instead of a singing telegram, it was like it was like they were hiring these waiters who had guitars to go up to a table and break it off with the guy like the girl paid them money it was like a very okay, silly thing okay. right so like <laughs> okay. we basically were would were, were kind of roasting the guy while we were playing gu uh, guitar of like all the problems with their relationship totally, and, totally. and dumping him in public in front of the whole restaurant kind of thing oh oh i like that <laughs> yeah yeah so that that nice. was one that i remember that 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 like it went over well and it was like a, a just like a fun premise that was for the review um and then i did one scene that that we wrote that was like an interrogation scene um of this guy who one of my buddies he is he was just so horrible at doing accents right so 
he would, when he would try to do an Irish accent, it would come off like Hispanic. When he tried to do Hispanic, it would come off Austrian. Do you know what I mean? Like, like he had no skill in that. So we made a sketch out of it where his accent would change while I'm interrogating him as a cop in the room. And then basically, so every time it would change it. So it was part improv, part sketch. Cause I didn't really know when his accent would start to be really bad. Cause it would not, he was not naturally just not good at it. So we would do this thing where when his accent would change, we, uh, I would be like, where are you actually from? You keep changing your accent. Like it was like this, this constant thing. And we would get into, we would get into a slap fight. Like I would slap him. Tell me where you're from. Then he, he, we'd full on be slapping each other on stage while this was going on. And it was, that was another fun one that was just like ridiculous. (laughs) And then how how did you, was your um, first, what was your first big break? Was it uh, working on Tony Hinchcliffe's kill Tony? Um, I wouldn't say, no, I I wouldn't say that definitely one of the breaks for sure. Um, that gave me like a big, as far as like a platform to perform on in front of, um, I think one of the first real breaks that I had was, uh, first of all, it was, it was a commercial that kind of like allowed everything to start like me pursuing comedy and stuff full time as I booked a national commercial, where it paid my bills for a year straight. So yeah. like that, I, like I- What commercial start, was that? Verizon? It was for the Chevy, the 2012 Chevy Volt. Is this a Chevy Volt? Yeah, it's electric. I don't think so. It's got a gas tank right here. Electric tank right over here. An electric tank? Really, Stu? Is that where you pour the electricity It's actually in? both, guys. I can plug in and go 35 miles gas-free, or I can fill up and go a whole lot farther. Is that my burger? Oh, I just got blown. I, I didn't even buy any burger. Look. Oh, shit. And yeah. you were just, like, driving the car and shit, or what? What were you doing? No, I was a, I was a dopey fast food employee when I had hair down to here, and I was, a, I was like, a, I was like a... Uh, a to-go order like a drive-through guy like i had the mic the headset and everything okay. and and like i'm like listen to the guy describe like his electric car and stuff like that and like i accidentally eat his burger because i'm so out of it and he's like did you just take a bite of my burger and i'm like and that's the commercial that's the commercial yeah it's just me and one guy we're going back and forth and that blew you up that financially financially for a year yeah that allowed me to to literally start pursuing comedy full time because I quit my job at Starbucks and I was able to start doing little hosting gigs, little feature gigs. Uh, my one, really my first like break in comedy was Bobby Lee taking me on the road. That was my first break in comedy. How did that happen? How did he, he saw me at the comedy store and you were, you were at the comedy store on open mic night. Oh yeah. I worked my way up from, potluck to paid regular it's a it's a hard path but um it's not done as much as it used to be uh because like now kind of the way things do it is they hire you as a door guy if they're maybe interested or you get enough heat on you from around the scene to then showcase later and get it but i worked my way up from open micer to paid regular between 2000 uh summer to summer 2011 and then i became a paid regular in 2016 so it took me like a full five years to 
to make it happen. That was still Sunday nights, Sunday nights, open. It night. used to be Sunday and Monday. And then they switched it to Monday about halfway through the time that I was, uh, uh, doing it. So you were going up on Monday nights. Yeah. Monday nights, man, were, people were showing up. Uh, <laughs> hit or miss, bro. Sometimes yeah. it would be three people, there. people, three people in the audience. And then other times you would get, uh, a full crowd. Um, but when you, after the potluck, when you graduate to like the friends and family, that's what they call it. The, like, the kind of, they call you a non-paid regular. You're in this limbo state where the store is showing interest in you, but you can't park in the lot. Your name's not on the wall. You're not calling in, uh, to get those 15 minute spots, but you can call in on Mondays to get one spot, maybe a week. That's a five minute spot. That's like a cold open before the real shows that are going on around the comedy store. So I did that. I was in that from, I got quickly bumped up from open mic to that, that middle area, um, uh, at, uh, right at the beginning of 2012. So 2012 to 2016 was when I was fully just chipping away at those like development spots is what they call them. And then eventually in 2016, I showcased after the third time, uh, with a year in between showcasing, I got it on the third time. With, uh, Bobby Adam Lee Eaton. was one of the first comedians to recognize you. He saw me on the potluck. I had a great set. He used to go back in the day uh, before he had like consistent girlfriends or anything like that. Uh, he would just go. He didn't have anything to do on Monday nights. He would go hang out at potluck, watch the comics, laugh at the ones that he liked. And then he would pull people aside that he liked uh, after they would go up. And I had a great set. And he told me, he goes, your energy is great, but I was like throwing myself all over the stage. He goes, he goes, that's a short-term thing. What you're doing with your body on stage. He goes, you got to be more careful. Uh, he goes, I'm just, I'm just saying like what you just did. He goes, you're not going to be able to sustain that like with your career. So just keep that in mind. What the hell were you doing? Oh, I was dude doing pratfalls, throwing myself into the stools, tackling the school stool, like all, like all the, like, uh, I've always been very physical on stage. I used to lay out on stage a lot more like for different like bits that I had. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then became a little bit more dialed in with my physicality as, as the years went on, but he pulled me aside and he said that he thought I was great and he thought I was really funny and that he thinks that I should be on a sketch show and that I should do that someday. And he started like seeing me and he invited me on the road to, to open for him. And then I did well on the road opening for him. And then I hosted for him for years and then I featured for him for years and, yeah, that's wow, that was so my Bobby first. Bobby Lee, he was the he discovered you. He he's the guy much. as far yeah. as like like who started showing me like love and stuff like that. There there's multiple guys. Tony was another guy who he started taking me on the road. I've been on the road more with Tony Hinchcliffe than anybody as far as like stand up shows and Kill Tony and all that stuff. Like yeah, so you were in. also opening for Tony non uh, non Kill Tony, right? You were just right, okay. right. We would go out on the road. We did. Um, his uh, monster energy drink tour where it was just two man shows. I would go cold open with 30, bring him out. He'd do an hour. That's the show. Like no host. He would ask in every city specifically in his contract. He's like, we don't need locals. He goes, I got my guy. I want him to go on kill and then bring me up. That's the show. So we did that all around the country. And that was, that was Damn. a great experience. Now yeah. back up a little bit. How did that come about? How did, how do you go from, uh, how do you and Tony first meet and how, how does he end up asking you to open for him? 
Well, Tony was also, you know, he was instrumental in there was there was multiple people who vouched for me at the store, right? One thing that Tony liked about me right away. So uh and so Benji Aflalo, he was the first guy to be like, he told the talent coordinator, hey, watch this guy. He he like went out on a limb and he's like, Hey, I think you should watch this guy. And this is when Tony I was doing said the, that. Uh Benji Aflalo. Oh, okay. And then Tony would go on, he would say that for me as well. So I had a couple of hosts of the potluck on Mondays that would tell the talent coordinator at the time, his name was Tommy. Uh, you need to watch this guy. He does new material every week and he's, and he riffs with the crowd and he does a new set every single week because that, that was very strategic. I would do new stuff because I see the same comics doing the same material every week for a dude in the booth. Who's not wanting to pay attention because he's, he's already heard it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I'm doing that, I started doing a new set every single week. Tony noticed that and Benji noticed that, and they started, they'd start putting me up. Uh, and giving me better spots, like either on the potluck. And then when I became friends and family, they started putting me and giving me good spots on that. But they were, they were very important to help me, helping me like get into the store because I had two guys who were door guys there that were vouching for me. And that then they became paid regulars, like in that process, uh, it was, uh, around the time when they, I don't think they're paid regulars quite yet, but they were door guys and MCs at the store and they vouched for me really hard. So it was a it was like a handful. I kept getting vouched for by different comics that were respected within the comedy store. Like Ralphie May was another guy who dude. He he was a guy who fought for me Ralphie like May. so hard. Ralphie May. Wow. Yeah. And Jeff Ross. I mean, with roast battle and all that stuff, like he's another guy at the comedy store who I was doing roast battle and and I would go out and open for Jeff on the road occasionally. And he there's like a handful of guys who've like been super you know helped me with my comedy career and even with my stand-up on the spot show rogan loved doing the show so much he kept bringing it up on jre where the name became a recognizable name just from him literally talking about it and then you know he kept doing the show in the belly room and then telling other people that they should do it and he helped me kind of like raise just the awareness of the like the brand of the show and like what the show is you know now Were you you were opening for Tony Hinchcliffe first, and then it developed into you uh, and him teaming up and Kill Tony. Was he already doing Kill Tony, and then he added you, or did you guys start doing it together? He was doing so. Uh, I actually was one of the panelists on one of the first episodes of Kill Tony. Okay. So, like Tony and I had already been friends uh, for a while through Potluck and the Comedy Store. And he knew that I was funny off the cuff and that that was one of my strengths. So he's like, Hey, Hey, come be a panelist on this new show, this new podcast that I'm doing. And I was like, Oh, sure. So I did one of the first episodes of that. And then he had me on as a panelist when he did the show in La Jolla, um, when I was opening up for him, uh, in La Jolla that weekend. So he was already starting to take me on the road a little bit here and there. Um, and then when kill Tony, when we, we teamed up for that, Pat Reagan, the musician who I mentioned earlier, who I did a duo with, he uh, he invited me to come sit in with him as the band on Kill Tony uh, after Tony would have had he had this Iron Patriot thing that was on for a while where he'd have a guest comic dress up as the Iron Patriot and riff little things in between the comics and stuff like that. So I did the Iron Patriot and then it morphed into the band later on where Pat Reagan asked me to guess and then it just worked. 
became a more permanent fixture. We started dressing up, doing characters and brought in Joel Jimenez. And then it became the band that, you know, where we added Chroma Chris and Jesse Johnson, where it became like a bigger and more grandiose thing where we moved to the main room of the comedy store. And, uh, but yeah, we did, I did part of the cast of Kill Tony for like over five years, I think. So it was, it was a good chunk of time. And now does Kill Tony still have a band and they, they got, they do. They're, they're musicians. It's like a, it's like a, they're like a legit good band that they have in Texas. So they don't do like the characters and they're not comedians, um, but they're just great musicians. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Wow. So um, what's gone on since, since you departed from Kill Tony, uh you're it seems like i mean i follow you on instagram it seems like you're it seems like you're just getting bigger and bigger and uh that you're you got jeremiah uh you have like at least two different podcasts right jeremiah wonders scissor bros and then um we're more consistently putting out these stand-up on the spots as like uh as like a series on youtube which has been awesome and that's growing that's been amazing like i just did one in new york with i mean the lineup you're taking that on the road now yeah, I, I wow. do it occasionally on the road now too. Like the the goal is to to start doing stand up on the spots, like where I can take it to a different scene and get the comics who are the best and the killers in every scene, like in Portland, in Chicago, in Texas. Uh, like we've done one already in Houston, Austin, and New York, and then I've got plans coming up to do one. I think coming up here in St. Louis and Cincinnati and. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're I'm trying to do it on the road, but also in LA at the same time. That's badass. And the thing that makes that so unique is it's supposed to be all uh, material you've never done before, like yeah. off the cuff. No material, all based yeah. on audience suggestions. Uh, the audience is yelling suggestions out, and we're creating stand up on the spot based off of what they yell out. So now, if they yell out something that triggers like an old bit, are you allowed to do that? I tell the comics because that, that's a question that I get asked all the time. I, I tell them, I encourage them to say, hey, I already got a bit on that. What, what else we got? If yeah. Or take it in a new direction that's not your material. Because yeah. the whole point of the show is to see what you can come up with right then and there on the spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like yeah. that's kind of the exercise. That's kind of the, 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 the pureness of, of comedy. It, uh, musicians consider it like, like a it's jazz a session. Yeah. like a jam like yeah. because it's like it's you're working off the crowd like you're coming yeah. up with stuff in the moment you're seeing if this sounds good this is funny like you're you're really like kind of like putting yourself yeah. out there so it, it obviously improv and jamming uh it doesn't work all the time to get like the best stuff right i mean sure you know generally like you do like you just don't uh but sometimes you're vibing out there and, and, and play a concert and jam stuff. They have like songs that, you know, from their album that they're going to play and stuff. So, but, I, the, but is there any time where fuck it doesn't work at all for like a while? You know what I mean? Like no one's coming yeah. up with funny shit. Oh no, no, for sure. Yeah, it must, Cause it can't always work. You can't Bro, always come up with sets, great shit. My sets are literally, it's gotten better over the years. It used to be a 50, 50, whether I bombed horribly or did, decent because i'm the first comic doing the concept for the crowd they're not that familiar with it i'm almost training them as well as doing my opening set you know what i mean because i'm doing an example of what to expect the next 90 minutes 
So when you when you go up and you introduce a show or you or you open the show or start the show, you don't you go in, up there with uh, nothing in your mind, right? You just say fuck it, I'm just going to go up there and whatever comes out comes out. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. That's yeah, it's the Dangerous, only way to do it. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It gets the yeah. adrenaline going every time because you're like I they could this could be horrible or amazing. Who are the best guys at it? You know, I've had a, so many comics over the years uh, who have done it that are really good at it. Uh, one of the most recent ones that was really impressive was uh, Mark Norman from New York. Uh, he had a, a very standout set that was really good. Um, Joe Rogan, he d- he's done the show so much over the years. He's just anybody who knows their comedic voice really well is going to flourish in the show. You know what I mean? If you've been doing comedy a long time and you know what makes you funny and what the audience, like, you know, there, there's been so many comics who've done it over the years. Rory Scovel is one of my favorites to do it. Eric Andre. Um, th- there's a bunch of people who are just really, really talented, like off the cuff. And uh, Has Dave Chappelle ever did it. No, he hasn't done it. I would love for him to do it someday. Yeah. Yeah. What about Sebastian? Has Sebastian would be another good one. <laughs> Jeff Ross is, you know, Jeff Ross has done the show a bunch um, and he's great at it. What I like about Jeff doing the show is he gets more, you know, a lot of his stuff is very topical and roasty, you know, but like when he's done my show, he talks about family stories and stuff like that. And I find that fascinating because that's just like a different side of a comedian that we know, but we haven't really seen that side from him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Has Theo um, Vaughn done it? He's phenomenal at it. Oh, oh my! Dude. I mean, he's <laughs> Andrew Santino just did it. He was so good. Burt Kreischer has come up with bit. I think one of the bits that he riffed uh, ended up on one of his specials, which is like that's the that's the coolest thing when somebody improvises something that's so good that they're like they start working it into their act. That's yeah. the highest compliment to the show, you know? Yeah, yeah. I should keep keep a real good track of that, you know? What I mean? Yeah, because that's, that's basically what it is. It's uh. You know, you when you're imp- improv and that's coming up with the idea and mm-hmm. and then some, you know, obviously sometimes the best stuff and a lot of times the best stuff comes out that first time you said it with your friends or whatever, however the bit was formed, whoever you said it around right there because it was so real and it was just worded perfectly, right? Sometimes that improv is, is uh, the best way. Well, because sometimes when you go to write something, it's not exactly how you talk. Does that make sense? Exactly. Exactly. When you just say it, that's, that's how it the com- most pure form of what you do. Yeah. Because you're on stage kind of, you know, putting out the illusion that you are just coming up with this and you are just having a conversation and it isn't uh, something that you memorize word for word. You know, you want it to sound like you're just having a conversation with your buddies. Exactly. Yeah, I've gotten some great material that's still in my act from stand up on the spot shows that 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 I kept working on. Some of it I didn't even have to work on that much. It just came out and I'm like, "Oh, that's that's going in the act." Like that's that that joke just works. <laughs> uh, um uh, how's the saxophone plan going? Good, man. I was just actually jamming yesterday with um uh, my pal, Jesse Johnson, who, uh, we were both in, we used to be in the kill Tony band together. So it was cool to jam with her. Cause it had been a minute since I had jammed with a friend. So it was, uh, it was part of the reason I was looking forward to today. I was like, Oh, I think I'm, I, I might get to jam a little bit with Eddie. 
<laughs> you know what? I don't know how we what how we would do it. I don't know. Um, you said you wanted to. You you sent me a song that you wanted to to do something with, but I don't. How how would we do that? I don't know. To tell you the truth, on Zoom, is there like a delay in the music? That's the only thing I'm a little bit worried about. There is some kind of delay. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? If if we don't do it today, well, like I I already told you, um, we're gonna do another Jeremiah Wonders when you come back on. I want to do a full on jam session when we do it in person. Oh, totally. Totally. I'll bring my piano player as well, too. Yeah. So that'll we'll do, be amazing. We'll do a proper jam. Uh, what's that? Armand? You know, that's right. Of course. You know, Armand. Yeah, I've been over your place. Oh, yeah. He's so I mean, great, dude. Yeah, He's yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're actually in the middle of making an album right now. It's, uh, dude, yeah. I don't know what you sent me, but it sounded freaking good. <laughs> a baby wipe. Yeah, it sounded good, man. Like Thanks, the production yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan, it sounds uh, legit. Dan uh, Yakaninov, he's a uh, he's a uh, engineering for me, and uh, um, yeah, we got we we got about you know that's like like you you mentioned earlier that was um you said a good thing about the scamdemic. You know, you said that it, it it gave you more time to write and stuff like that. Same thing with me, man. Um, the the the, the music that I'm writing now the the band that i got together now and the the way i'm jamming now would it wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for the scam so there's like good things it, coming it, from this. isn't that crazy like yeah. it, it sometimes takes something to like give us perspective in a different way because totally who dude who 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 knows like had like like everything that had been going on if you and i would have even became as good of friends like like we had more downtime you know yeah, what i mean totally. we could literally go hang like like we had like UFC like watch party nights and like the jams after that were so epic. Yeah, yeah, those UFC parties during the fucking lockdown, man. Yeah, where you'd come over with your sacks, and it'd be a packed house at Armand's. He's got his piano. I'm playing guitar. We're just all yelling stupid shit, and because of of all that shit, ah oh, man, um, my whole musical direction changed. Um, uh the band that I was in before was um, uh, kind of fell apart because of the division caused throughout all this shit. That was like, you know, you know, yeah. you know, you lose friends, you know, because of your political stuff that, that kind of happened. Yeah. That kind of happened. It's uh, kind of crazy that that there's even a thing that. Um... So that broke that band up, you know, basically. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. I ended up just, writing songs on my own about all the bullshit and it just wrote itself and i've never been a prolific writer i would always write lyrics i've been writing lyrics my whole life but i wouldn't i'm not one of those guys who just has all these songs that i'm constantly writing i just write whenever i'm inspired and sometimes it doesn't come for a while and sometimes it just pours out and sometimes nothing for for a few years you know so but there's so much emotion over the last couple of years running through everybody's veins that uh, man i couldn't stop writing and i just wrote just joke song after comedy song after joke song. everything was a joke everything was and it was just the, the, the songs just came out and just wrote themselves there's just so much stupid shit going on that it was so easy and i would have never done it if 
if uh, we didn't go through it. I would have never done it. Uh, that old band probably would have still been together if it wasn't for all this shit, you know? Right. And I would have been still pursuing going that way. But now I'm going a totally different way. And then I became closer with uh, my students and started hanging out with my students and Armand, he's a pianist. And, and we would just, we would, um, we would, train jujitsu and then jam afterwards and get high and fucking just make stupid music. And then what started out as just dumb ass joke songs that we would just have so much fun doing. I, I didn't, I never even thought of like, you know, singing and playing acoustic guitar. That was, I was always a songwriter and I, I would write for other people because my voice sucks. And, um, but you have, I, but you, you have the rock star rasp though. You know oh, what I mean? Man, I hate my voice, but I love writing vocal melodies. That's my thing. I think that's what I like doing the most mm-hmm. with music is creating the music and then writing the vocal melodies over. It. I love it. And then getting someone that actually knows how to sing with a beautiful voice and a pretty voice and getting them to sing what I put together. That's what I've always done. I've, I've written many songs for female vocalists that have insane vocal abilities mm-hmm. and insane. Like I've written for one girl. She was, you know, she could hold down a, a musical play and sing lead. She was amazing. And, um you know that's that's who i generally write for so now now i'm you know singing these crazy uh joke songs you know and it would have never happened without all the bullshit so it's weird and uh having a lot of fun doing it and you know i'm surrounded by guys who you know who um just as enthusiastic about uh, the music as I am, so we'll, we'll, you know, we're just having fun with it. That's we're gonna the release best. an album and and see what happens. But getting uh, together with like minded friends is yeah, it's always a blast. <laughs> and you would always just show up over these exact same songs. We have a bunch of new ones too, but you would show up and you would, you would just jam over anything that we were playing on your sax. And yeah. I mean, I got a bunch of that shit recorded. I still got all that shit recorded. I didn't you show up for my birthday too? Didn't I think the, so. Yeah. Yeah. And my birthday jam too. Yeah. Those are some man, those lockdown UFC uh, jam sessions. Fuck. Dude, Epic. Those are classic. So, but now, um, now we jam at my Academy because of the scamdemic, we had to close up the front of the school and everyone came through the back. Ah. We had to like, we were doing secret jujitsu sessions, but when everything, you know, um, when all the bullshit uh, subsided and then they let the businesses open up again, I just kept the front closed and we still have the back door as entrance. So now the front lobby of my gym that's my jam room now we, we move the piano to ah. my school we jam at my school so we end up jamming way more now when you can when 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 you can work and by work i mean teach jujitsu and have fun doing jujitsu and then take a shower and clean up the school and then all the the jam equipment is right, right there. there we just jam we just stay there we because we usually after we're done training and and cleaning up we usually just hang for about an hour and smoke weed and just chit chat about the bullshit that's going on in the world but now we do that and we, we start jamming dude i got a piano at my school i got guitars mics we got a fucking amps <laughs> so now the UFC parties are at my school because then I got a giant big screen. So that front lobby that we closed up, now it's uh 
you know, it's, it's the UFC party slash jam room. You got to come. That's awesome. Gotta I got to I gotta come back through. That's You've dope. been so goddamn busy because I keep inviting you, but you're always on the goddamn road. You're like, dude, I I'm know. in Pittsburgh tonight. Fuck, man. I'm in Louisiana. Shit. <laughs> God damn it. I'm in Keep Portland. asking, though. When, when I'm in town, I'll come through, bro. I keep asking. Okay. I know. I appreciate I, that. Hell yeah, man. So what's going on? What's, what's the latest going on with you? What's, what's happening? What's coming up? Anything big? Netflix special? Uh, you know, I'm right now I'm, I'm focusing all my attention right now on the stand up on the spot series. I'm self-producing all these and putting them out on my YouTube and we're making them look, everyone looks like a special, like it, it, like we put a lot of love and, and time to make the audio and the video like production really special. And they're letting us shoot it at the comedy store, which is that's a, like the fact they're letting me shoot stuff at the comedy store is huge, bro. Like it's, it's. It's amazing. They trust me and we've worked out something where where I get a shoot in there. So I'm I'm honored that I get to be one of the few people that have gotten to shoot stuff in there. Uh, so I've just been focusing on that for the moment. And then, you know, I'm just touring on the road with stand up and a uh, couple podcasts, you know, Jeremiah Wonders, the Scissor Bros. So and then got the baby and, you know, the wife and, you know, I'm juggling all the things. That's a beautiful that's a beautiful thing, man. Everything's going so great for you. That stand up on the spot series sounds like something that's going to get picked up by somebody netflix amazon or something i th right? I, I believe i believe uh that it, it's uh it's gonna happen um i i, I think that um I, i'm just gonna i keep making it because i love the show right now and it's a blast and i'm getting all my buddies on it like uh that i want to showcase and stuff like that and, and you're coming up you're doing the one on august 9th so i'm stoked Am that, I? That, did i say yeah. that yeah oh, shit. Okay. august 9th I got to uh, not work on uh, new material. Exactly. You're already ready to go, brother. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. No pressure. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, God damn it. I was just going to fucking ask you some shit. Oh, I now I know what I was going to ask you. What uh, the stand up on the spot series, you, you ever consider putting that on Rockfin? Um, you know, right now, uh, I, I'm not putting anything behind a paywall for the show just to get as many eyes as possible, but, but if they paid you, if they say, Hey, we want to buy your show, it'd be something I'd be open to. I mean, okay. uh, you're looking yeah, for some big old money though, right? Like, like, uh, some kind of million dollar deal kind of deal, right? Well, the, the way I look at it right now, like the show, like, even though I've been doing the show since 2010, it's still as far as like eyeballs on it, it's still kind of in its infancy. So I, I kind of don't want to put it behind a paywall too soon. Yes. Like, I, 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 you know what I mean? I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather it grow and like, and, and people be stoked about it and give it to people for free uh, for yeah. the time being and me kind of eat the cost uh, on the production and stuff like that for the time being. Cause I believe in like, kind of like a, the long term like, yeah, you know, I think sure. it'll, I think it'll get on a network eventually someday it, or it'll get, I think it'll become a hit show on YouTube someday, you know, like it'll be one or the other. So I'm, I've just faith in, in the product. Beautiful, man. Jeremiah, how could people out there reach you? I'm um, on all social media at Jeremiah standup. Uh, and then I've got a great YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jeremiah Watkins. Uh, that's where you can find all the stand up on the spots that we were referencing. And then, um, scissor bros and Jeremiah wonders. And then I'm coming up, uh, I'm touring, uh, at, in Madison, Wisconsin, Dallas, Texas, Albany, New York, and, uh, Huntington beach all in August. So busy boy. Beautiful, man. That stand up on the spot is on a Monday or a Tuesday. Uh, the second Tuesday every month. So Tuesday, August 9th will be the, the show that Eddie's on. Oh, 
Shit. At the comedy okay. store, baby. All right, beautiful, man. I'll see you soon, man. And we got a jam real soon, too. Dude, absolutely. Let's do it. All right, man. Thank you, dude. I'll talk to you soon. Love you, brother. Thanks for having you me. You too, man. See ya. The Jiu-Jitsu Dojo is the ultimate training ground for life. Jiu-Jitsu will accelerate the evolution of your being, your consciousness, your soul. Through this amazing art, you will prove to yourself that you can master anything you set your mind to. Happy birthday, Eddie Bravo. I leave for Brazil tomorrow. Are you the fear factor guy? I'm uh, like six pounds over. Time to sweat it out. Just imagine someone that has no idea how different your game is. I'll tell you what this weekend was, man. It was a culmination point where all your hard work comes to like one great moment in time. You showed that you're a fucking champion. Guy who goes against convention. You created your own shit and figured interesting ways to get around problems in jujitsu. It shows you that great things are possible if you work hard, if you dedicate yourself and you use your creativity and you push through, your own human potential just goes up. My 10th Planet Association has grown rapidly to over 70 academies worldwide, and their curriculums are all synced to 10th Planet headquarters located in downtown Los Angeles. I'm Eddie Bravo. I hope to see you on the mats. You can tell it's real because it looks so fake.